so uh what's the deal with airplane food it's not good hey this is scooby dudes here coming at you with another episode of seinfeld jokes and scooby-doo content yeah, I uh, I was doing my impression of a uh, a stand-up comic. You know, Evan, you're a stand-up comic. Thank you. That's actually true. Evan has done stand-up before, so he's allowed to say that. And today, we're going to talk to you about a Scooby-Doo comic. Yeah, we are doing a Scooby-Doo comic um, that goes by the name of Scooby Apocalypse. Yes, Scooby Apocalypse, issue number one. This is a DC-produced comic series that we're going to tell you all about, and we're going to give you the blow-by-blow of the first issue. Yeah, so as we mentioned, Scooby Dudes, uh, a podcast mm-hmm. about your favorite meddling kids. Yep, and their dumb dog, too. My name's Luke. My name is Evan. And uh, well, I, I really don't want to waste any time. Let's just get into this episode. Shed man hands! <laughs> For some reason, I wanted to say, we were on a break! <laughs> Which is not the same sitcom. <laughs> Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. We're in. Yeah, you know how we, and I guess we're going to say this in, in the intro as well, but you know how we're always going on about how Scooby Dudes is a Scooby-Doo podcast about all Scooby-Doo media? Yeah, but we've only done Scooby-Doo TV shows so far. We're finally busting out of uh, out of that box that we had kind of placed ourselves in. Um, and what we're going to be doing is covering a comic book. Yeah, this is uh, something that I, we, you mentioned this to me a long time ago, that they were doing a Scooby-Doo comic book, and then it was going to be kind of like grown-up and kind of serious-ish, and I was very skeptical. This is long before we were talking about doing the podcast, like years ago. Um, so I'm excited that we're finally getting to read it and talk about it. Yeah, so this is uh, this is Scooby-Doo Apocalypse. It's from DC Comics, um, because DC and, and Warner Brothers... Is that right, or am I just saying things now? I think Warner Brothers owns Scooby-Doo right now, and DC and Warner Brothers partnered on a whole bunch of cartoon things. Uh, it, DC, DC and Hanna-Barbera certainly have a relationship, which is to say that Scooby Apocalypse is only one of a number of um, different Hanna-Barbera titles that uh, DC is putting out. Mm, and kind of adultified titles. What other exa- what other things are they uh, they rebooting or are they transferring over to comics like that? Uh, Wacky Racers has come oh. out. Um, there was a Pink Panther story in which the titular character was like a a gay southern gentleman is really interesting sort of like um what's that guy's name he's a, a playwright jackson something mississippi something tennessee williams tennessee williams i think that's what you're trying to say yeah so yeah it, it was pink panther and he was like he was like a tennessee williamsy kind of like character and it's it's a really interesting story because i guess you weren't allowed i mean i don't guess like i know you weren't allowed to be gay back then i wasn't you're correct um, yeah um there were other titles as well mm. Um, so there was that Pink Panther one I just mentioned. Uh, th- they are doing, like, a regular Scooby-Doo team-up book, which I mm. guess you and I will have to do at some point in the future, where it is just regular cartoon Scooby-Doo, and he, like, teams up with 
uh, I guess, like, Swamp Thing or Batman or Wonder Woman. Is it, like, Brave and the Bold type Batman, like, pretty uh, pretty kiddish to match Scooby-Doo? Or yeah, is it correct. Okay. It, is, it is more the tone of the cartoon than of, like... And they've also been doing a number of uh, crossovers. One in particular, and this came out semi-recently. I guess when this episode comes out, it'll be a little bit further back. Um, which was a Batman... They keep doing these crossovers between two characters, a DC and a Hanna-Barbera. Um, and this one is... Um, Batman and Elmer Fudd. So the world's greatest detective and the world's most incompetent hunter. But they're all of the anthropomorphized animals are humans. So wait, Bugs is an actual human being who just has Bugs-like qualities. Correct. And so, um, like, like Fudd is gonna like kill Bugs because apparently, like, Bugs was involved in like the plot to like have his wife killed. It's it's super gritty, but like, all, there are all these like little jokes because you can see in like this seedy bar that they're in all these other characters and you can like determine like oh this is like that uh that rooster who like beats up that uh foghorn leghorn right yeah but who does foghorn leghorn beat up he beats up up anyone the bulldog who's always going after the little chick the bulldog's after the chick i thought the bulldog was protecting um foghorn and the chick from another entity do you know what i mean oh man that makes my foghorn leghorn is a little bit foggy leghorn so, Foggy Longbottom. No, Foggy... Who's Foggy from Daredevil? Foggy... He's Nelson. Foggy, Foggy Nelson. Nelson. Why Foggy Lo- Neville Longbottom? Ah, dude. Dude. I think I'm dumb, dude. <laughs> dude, I think I'm stupid. <laughs> oh, man. But there's one with... Uh, you can see Foghorn Leghorn in the background of a, like, cantina bar type scene. Yeah, and you just have to sort of, like, determine sort of from the way they were drawn and then also their dialogue. Because I, I think Porky Pig, like, shows up as well. And you can, like, he has that, like, stutter. So you're like, oh, this guy's, like, human Porky Pig. I, I just have to say, to go back a little bit to Bugs, Bugs Bunny makes a great villain. Like, that's, that makes so much sense in my mind. As a kid, you like him because he's sarcastic and he's dry-witted and he always has the upper hand. But growing up, that's what you want in a villain. You start to like the villains. And that just sounds like a great thing to me. I, I'm really interested in reading that now. So all of this is to say that there have been a number of Hanna-Barbera comic books in partnership with DC. Scooby Apocalypse, this came out in 2016. Uh, This first issue that we're doing um, came out in May of that year. And the creative team, and I feel like I've been talking a lot, and we'll hit up the issue. Evan, I guess just a little context for our listeners, Evan knows a lot about comics. That's not my area of expertise as much. Um, so definitely, I'm glad you're taking the reins on these details. Yeah, I just want to touch on really quick the fact that this was written by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis, um, and this issue in particular was uh, illustrated by Howard Porter. Uh, and the reason I spotlight them is because this is the exact same creative team on the DC book Justice League 3000, um, which was about a future Justice League. Uh, which is to say that, like, this is kind of like a proven creative team. DC kind of gave it to people who they like trusted and who they knew worked well together. Mm. On a very new project, nonetheless. You couldn't fault a, a great creative team for potentially stumbling a little bit just given the challenge here of doing a, a more adult Scooby-Doo that's gritty and that's apocalyptic. And I think, I think the first thing that we should do just before we really dive into it and just so that we can get it all done at the same time is let's talk about, because this is the first thing that came out, you know when a new book comes out, typically all we get is like the cover. It's meant to like hype people. So if we could talk about the appearance of the gang on the cover. That's the thing that I saw a long time ago. 
yeah, that you'd uh, you directed me towards because this cup first cover has been out for quite a while, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I came out last year. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and so let's. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll have on our website probably some screenshots, some th- stuff of the cover. Let's uh, let's break it down. It's Scooby Apocalypse. They're in what looks like the uh, the kind of flesh-like bowels of some cave. And which character do you want to start on first? Shaggy. It's got to be Shaggy because Shaggy's the one. It has to be Shaggy. It has to be Shaggy. Shaggy's the one who's been the most changed, and he was the reason that I wasn't sure if I was going to like this comic when you indicated that it was coming out because he looks very different. So. Shaggy is wearing kind of like a, a greenish v-neck. It looks like he's wearing like brown like cords or something. So like he's wearing like a like a greenish flannel shirt over that, which is not out of the question. It's like sure, maybe he wants to wear long sleeves, but but beyond what he's wearing, his face design is radically different. He's got what looks like a lumberjack beard, a curly Q mustache. And he's got cool guy, modern hip hair, like all very voluminous, voluminous and slicked back. Yeah, so a, li- a little shorter on the sides. Shorter on the but sides, long a on lot top. longer on top. Tons of volume. Mm-hmm. And he's got a sleeve of tattoos on one arm. And his ears are gauged. Oh yeah, he's got gauged earrings as well. And just the facial hair, he, they've really buffed that up. Yeah, he's, he's hipster shaggy. Um, Ultra hipster Shaggy, yeah, absolutely. He's wearing gray, I mean, uh, brown slacks. That is nice. And his expression. What do we read about his character from this? If we're having to make assumptions about his character from this first view, uh, it looks like he's frightened or scared, which is consistent, I think. Yeah, I think he's kind of going like, "Whoa!" Like I'm getting kind of a far out thing from him. Like he's excited. Because we are talking about character designs right now, and we're just going to spend a, a couple minutes on that. These character designs were done by um, by Jim Lee, who is pretty high up in DC right now. He's he's an artist first and foremost. Um, so he was the one who des- who put all of these looks together. And let me just say, like, even in 2016, I feel like the hipster thing was like dying down. It's it was on the decline. At least this brand of hipster thing, like the whole, <laughs> like uh. Uh, like Amish outfit with suspenders and full beard in Starbucks. That's a little bit on the decline. But then again, I don't live in Portland. I still live in a pretty hip city. We both do. Yeah. I think this is the kind of thing that happens. And, and like, all due respect to Jim Lee. He's a very talented artist. And he has done extremely good work. But this feels like asking, uh, like, a man in, like, his 40s or whatever, draw, like, can you draw me something hip? Like, something that, like, the kids... What What are the kids into these days? And yeah. it really comes through. Like, if you asked an artist even, like, in their 30s or late 20s, mm. these designs would be vastly different. And I guess that's that's making an assumption about what Shaggy is supposed to stand for. Do you think Shaggy is supposed to be our surrogate for the, the young, hip crowd in this comic series? Well, I think he's supposed to be in his mid-20s in this comic series. And I just think that, like, if this comic series is taking place in 2016 when the book came out, it's not... You know, it's it, it feels it already feels dated. Yeah, and it's it's it feels like an unnecessary direction to take his character. Well, let's let's see what how that plays out. But that's Shaggy's character design, and it is it does feel a little bit uh, past the peak. Uh, if we want to go over to Fred, uh, blue light blue pants, a white T-shirt, a tribal tattoo on one of his arms. Yeah, like high. He doesn't have a sleeve, but he's got like just below the shoulder. He's got a tribal tattoo going on, like a short sleeve, if you will. And instead of a neckerchief, he's got 
what looks almost like a desert scarf. Yeah, like a, a, a bandana, of, or at least yeah. in this shot. All of that is good. He has pouches around his waist, which Jim Lee did a lot of um, image stuff back in the day, hmm. in the 90s, uh, during a time in which like pouches were very prevalent in the character design. Um, yeah. And to be fair, uh, Scooby Apocalypse in an, apocaly- uh, in an apocalyptic setting, sure, you, you have pouches. He also has, like, you know, like, goggles and, like, some tech on him. That's fine. Yeah, like some headphone kind of things. And he's holding two what look like handheld space heaters in each hand. <laughs> That's all I can think of. But it, it does make sense both with the futuristic, very modern look of the comic and with the apocalyptic... Part of a post-apocalyptic... I would call this more a post-apocalyptic story than apocalyptic. Well, it, it's debatable. We'll get into it. But part of the pleasure of that is the gear, and is the feeling of, like, collecting all this, val- like, surviving with gear and scavenging. For me, that's part of the pleasure of an apocalyptic story. Fred is also wearing blue gloves that match his pants, which have never been mm. a Fred, uh, part of, part of his, his outfit. That's a good point. And they're very, like, cartoony, like, Mario-ish Yeah, gloves. like, 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 Mickey Mouse, they have Mario, yeah, exactly, that brand of, uh, of glove. Um, speaking mm. of gloves... Daphne's wearing green yep. gloves. And a green scarf to match, or a green uh, bandana around her, her neck. Uh, she, Everything else is the typical Daphne. Yeah, she has uh, the purple pants. She has a lighter purple uh, t-shirt. She has a purple headband. Uh, and obviously fiery red hair. Her purple pants are camo. Let's, let's hit up the last human member, uh, which I think you might have a lot to say about. I, I well, it's, Velma historically has been the character who I find the most attractive in Scooby-Doo. Um, and I was very interested to see what they do with here. Velma, I think, in the modern day is very sexualized, at least by fans. Too, so, too much. In to that a, gross, like, oh, she's nerdy and a librarian. She must yeah. be like a freak in the sheets. Yeah. Pardon my, like, which it's, which I think is really gross. It is, but that it is gross, and it is really common that any time like a series gets popular and there's a quiet nerdy character, every fan is like, oh, I bet that character's filthy. That's gross. They don't go that very much. That they don't really go that direction here. But she is kind of cute in the comics. In this first cover, she her proportions are wildly strange. So she's wearing like a like an orange skirt that cuts up cuts off above the knees. What looks to be sort of like an orange turtleneck, and then like a reddish, um, like a, almost like a blazer. At least what it looks like here over top of that. It's like a it's like a blazer trench coat. Yeah. Kinda. And she was wearing glasses, she has the short brown hair, but as you said, she's tiny. Her proportions are insane, and this is a complaint I'm going to have in this. I'll say it now so I don't have to say it all the time as we're going through this issue, that they, Velma is not proportioned consistently at all. Here, she is so small, like, she is shorter than Scooby-Doo. She, like, to say that she would be five foot nothing would be an exaggeration, as oh, if she would be too big. She's four foot less than nothing. And that's not the way she always appears in this comic series, but again, the proportion, they aren't sure how tall they want to make Velma. Uh, the other thing on her character, what she's got, obviously Shaggy has his look of frightened wonderment. Uh, Fred and Daphne have some sort of high-tech gear they're carrying. She's carrying a, uh, a remote controller that's controlling a drone. Lastly, we have the, uh, the star of the show, of the book, uh, Scooby-Doo himself. Mm-hmm. He is a Great Dane. Yeah, uh, with- still a Great Dane. He, but and he has one addition, which is, uh, well, first of all, he has like a high-tech collar, but he also has what looks to be a, a high-tech monocle on one eye. Mm-hmm. With 
which has some sort of hologram functions. Like it's projecting these holograms all around his head. The most important hologram being eyebrows for Scooby. So with a dog, you can't typically read human expressions into a dog face very easily, but eyebrows really help. So in this comic series, we were assuming Scooby is very expressive, but realistically so. Like his facial expressions are going to come from this hologram thing that's on his face. So basically what we've done just now is, is we, we've reviewed the cover, uh, which yeah. came out a long while before the actual issue cuts out. Now that we've given, hopefully, all of you listeners a picture of what the gang looks like, we can, uh, we can start the issue. Yeah, I guess just one, one thought on this. What are your thoughts on the art style from the cover? Is this kind of your art style, something you really resonate with? It's, it's fine. It's very passable. Um, DC, and, and this was at the time when DC had been accused of having a very strong house style. Um, which is to say that it was it was very it's, it was very standard. It wasn't very stylized. What what you see is what you get. And if you pick up this book and you pick up another book, you can expect things to be very like across the board. Um, and at the time, uh, Marvel had artists who were vastly different. You had artists who were doing more painterly styles. You had artists who were doing more exaggerated, like very very uh, different from one another. So this, I mean, like I don't hate the art. I feel almost neutral about it it's not bad it's not amazing same here it's too it, it lacks character too much for me to love it but it's too clean and polished and obviously well done for me to dislike it so and the artists change later on in the series i've read mo i'm pretty much up to current on scooby-doo apocalypse and uh, the artists do change down the line yeah, Howard Porter started out, and uh, later Dale Eaglesham. Uh, Just before we get into the thing itself, any thoughts on the variant covers, if you've seen those? Um, I can bring it up right now. I, I don't have too many thoughts. Uh, Vel, uh, Daphne's, she's standing in front of a grave looking cool. Fred's, he's uh, slurping up some ghosts with a uh, Ghostbusters-type tech. Scooby's, he's, uh, he's just running away from a giant spider with a Scooby snack in his mouth. The one with Shaggy on it, I really don't like. I w that's my next one. I hate that one. Shaggy, Shaggy's character design, you can like or hate or not love in the series itself, but this variant cover, he looks detestable. He looks really creepy. And, and instead of having... <clears throat> I think the biggest difference is instead of having his long hair slicked back, it's hanging over. Yeah, over his face, and he's completely shorn on the sides. Not just like it's a little shorter on the sides. He looks like a like a scary hilly billy. Hill billy. <laughs> yeah. M my favorite, and the reason I, I bring it up, is because I really like Velma's variant cover. I think that's really cool, and that's, to be honest, the kind of art style I really wish this comic was done in. Oh, yeah. Um, this is... I know who this is. Um, this is... Let me look at my shelf. Uh, this is Ben Caldwell. I need to look that up now, because I love that uh, style. Ben Ben Caldwell did a book um, called Prez for DC, which was about a teenage girl becoming president of the United States, and he has this really wonderful, lovely, uh, cartoony style, and he draws like women very well, but he draws everyone just excellently. The, the coloring is just so delicate and so light. It uh, it's. Mm. That my criticism of this series, this issue we're about to cover, is that the coloring is that that like on acid kind of thing, where they're just trying to throw as much at you as they possibly can. It doesn't have that careful restraint. Anyways, it it could use a little. You it could use more just like solid washes. I think is is sort of it could. And later on in the series, that is kind of what it transitions to. And uh, yeah, you you've clearly got the language that I lack to to describe that. 
But that's that's a little bit about what we could speculate about this series before we were diving in. Beyond that, there's nothing to do but to dive in. So uh, we open up on a starry night in Paris one year ago. Mm. Yes, and we know it's Paris beyond it, telling us Paris because we see a glowing um, Eiffel Tower in the background and Velma in the foreground looking over the city from a balcony. In this issue, uh, Velma will um, she'll speak to herself a lot. Yeah, she, she monologues a lot uh, or soliloquizes. Which I don't think is, it feels very like telly instead of showy, um, unfortunately. That's a criticism I'd have of this series overall, is it's very telly instead of showy. But but she's talking about how while everyone out there is having fun, she's working, she's hard at work uh, trying to save the world. Uh, and soon after she says that, she releases something into the air, uh, some sort of greenish, I, they could be spores, like, I don't know. Yeah, she has some sort of tech in her hand, she presses a button and, and lets it just kind of like waft through the air, almost like letting wind pull bubbles out of a, like a, one of those bubble things. Or like Pocahontas talking about painting with the colors of the wind, where she just like grabs a bunch of like seeds and stuff. Yeah, except she's talking about society skipping, skipping merrily towards oblivion as she tries to save it with this unknown technology. Velma's kind of, um, what's, what's the term I want to I wanna use? She's all aboard the angst train, is what comes to mind for me. She, she's angsty, and also, I don't want to say self-righteous, but, you know, there's that sense of, like, she, she's saving, you know, she's saving people. Like, people are relying on her. She's, she has taken on this burden. Yeah, it's, it's very much that kind of, like, narcissistic point of view where it's like, everyone is worse than me. They're all scum to me, but I'm saving them because I care about them, because I'm better than them, but they're worthless. And it's this dichotomy where she looks down on everyone, but she... It also is trying to save them. Speaking of the scum of the earth, uh, we then we then fo- fast forward ahead to the present. Uh, we come across a uh, a hive of shoot, what is it? Scum and villainy. Scum and villainy. Oh, that's what I thought it was, but then I doubted myself. Yeah, a hive of scum and villainy, which is a, a festival of some sort, and we see Fred and Daphne. Fred and Daphne arguing in the midst of this festival, and it. it some of the coloring here like really does pop like all the lights that they've got it's uh it looks remarkably glowy for the fact that it's just colors on a screen i think it communicates very well sort of the atmosphere that they're in it turns out that they're at the uh the blazing man festival yeah <laughs> which uh which i wrote here is vastly different from the flaming man festival <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh daphne wouldn't be allowed into that i'm afraid woman festival that's all hers absolutely how dare you i know i know i'm cutting <laughs> uh but yeah they're, they're arguing at the blazing man festival and now that we've actually seen fred and daphne fred looks a little different than he did on the cover he looks more like blocky beefy know what i mean uh i think so like he's just a slab of dude maybe i i don't know you you talk about it while I drool over Fred for a little bit. Fred Fred definitely has like a very wide like a very broad jaw. He looks in some panels like Moose from the Archie comics. It also looks like they've removed the uh, the tribal tattoo that Jim Lee gave him, which I think is a step in the right direction. Me too. I think Shaggy's got that little niche covered. We don't need that on Fred. It's not consistent with his character either. And what do we know about their characters from how they're interacting at present? Well, in past iterations of Scooby-Doo, uh, and I, I guess we'll get into this, I guess we haven't quite touched on it in past episodes leading up to this point, but mysteries are Fred's bag. They're his jam. 
Yeah, Fred is the, uh, I'm just, I can't think of it. Fred's the leader of Mystery Inc., the de facto leader of Mystery Inc., just because he's the one with the passion for mysteries, he's always got the plan, he's kind of goading the gang along on these paths. So one big question on this is, are we going to maintain that Fred leadership role? And the answer to that is no, uh, because mm -hmm. we find out that, that the script has been flipped in a, in a pretty significant way, which is that um, Fred is the cameraman for a show called Daphne Blake's Mysterious Mysteries. Yes, indeed. And Daphne is really going to be the one who's taking the lead, and at the very least in this interaction, is really bossing around Fred. And Fred's giving feedback, almost like an underling, just uh, making suggestions to his boss. It, it turns out that um, two years ago they had quite the following, but nowadays uh, Daphne Blake's Mysterious Mysteries has been relegated to a 4 a.m. Show showing. Uh, on or, a knitting channel. On the knitting channel, um, which is incredibly ironic given the fact that Be Cool Scooby-Doo is having its episodes burned off at, like, ungodly hours. Yeah, at present. That's exactly what it made me painfully think of. And, uh, and the reason Daphne wants is okay with that is because she wants to keep filming the weird stuff, the, the stuff in the margins. That's why they're here at the Blazing Man Festival, it's, even though Fred thinks... Oh, sorry? It's very Fred. Like, that whole idea is very Fred Jones. But here, Fred is actually pushing back. He's saying we should be trying to find success within the mainstream media, work within there to change things. But uh, Daphne's having none of it, and she says, like, hey, look, do I have to get another cameraman? And then we get this little interaction. Well, not really, because it's Fred talking somewhat to himself, but he says, I'm with you, I'm always with you. And then, uh, as an aside, you'd think you'd know that by now. Yeah, so there's uh, obviously also a long-standing thing in Scooby-Doo where Fred and Velma, Fred, oh, gosh, where Fred and Daphne have a will-they-won't-they they kind of vibe. Here we're leaning into that, and there's obviously some kind of history. They, uh, they, one of the other reasons that they are at the, um, the, I almost said Flaming Man, at the, uh, what is it? The, the, the Blazing Man Festival. The Blazing, uh, which actually, you know what, does communicate something else. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it all these colors are popping and everyone's acting so weird? Yeah, I, I can't believe that we completely missed that. But yeah, the Blazing Man Festival is, is if, if anything, much more explicit and on the nose than Burning Man. Yeah, that's what they should actually call Burning Man. Uh, what's the other reason we're at the Blazing Man Festival, dude? Uh, they're there because they're they're going to meet up with an informant. That's right. Yep. They've uh, Daphne believes she's got a big scoop on something, and Fred's skeptical, but he's he's there for the ride anyway. And we pan from them to see that there are two other main characters at this festival at the same time. Yeah, it looks like Scooby and Shaggy are uh, are wandering about, um, and. Scooby communicates to his uh, to his handler that he would really like uh, to wear something. I, I don't know how to phrase that properly. Well, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's Shaggy's communicating with Scooby. And Scooby just looks like a Great Dane at this point. Maybe with the decked out collar, but it's not too noticeable. And Scooby's kind of indicating that he wants wants to get the headset on. Like, so he can communicate better. Again, at the, in the cover we see that Scooby's got this headset thing that helps him uh, communicate and uh, what Shaggy calls it is a pair of emoti goggles and as soon as uh, as soon as he puts them on well first of all he's like I don't we're trying to keep uh, we're trying to keep on the DL here Scoob you know we don't want to be profile. conspicuous and Scooby mm -hmm. kind of like motions around and they're at a they're at um, uh, Blazing Man and everyone looks wacky you know there's lots of like steampunk there's lots of cultural appropriation it's like 
It's like Native American headdresses, like out the wazoo. Um, I think you you summarized it pretty concisely. It's like Native American steampunk, uh, which is to say that a Great Dane wearing a monocle is not going to attract un- un- undue attention. And there's something in there that Shaggy's afraid of attracting attention. In fact, he references like, "Hey, I put my job on the line, taking you out of the complex so that we could come here and check this out." So there's something that's not normal in this world that dogs can talk. And there's something unique about Sco- Scooby and Shaggy's relationship, what they're doing, what Shaggy's job is. And Shaggy, Shaggy does concede. Like he said, hey, everyone's weird here. Let me put this headset on. And as soon as he does put it on, Scooby's communication uh, capacity increases tenfold. We then pan to the interior of a lab um, where it looks like they're being monitored on these screens. Scooby and Shaggy are. Yeah, we see Scooby and Shaggy uh, on a screen within this lab that this guy is monitoring, and he's talking to Velma. Velma's actually watching them on the screen at the same time. So we now have the whole gang. And and they really shouldn't be out there. Like, they should be in the lab. They should be in this facility. Um, and uh, this guy who is speaking with Velma says, you know, I'm, I'm going to go send some guys to go to go bring him in. And she says, look, no, we don't want to cause, cause a ruckus. I'm going to go, and I'm, I'm, I will retrieve them. And Dinkley, Velma Dinkley kind of sticks up for Scoob and Shaggy. She says, hey, look, uh, Shaggy's a doofus, but he's a kind-hearted doofus. Uh, he'll bring Scooby back just fine. Uh, Which seems like a little bit, um, I don't know, just just as we had sort of like a, a, a Fred Daphne bit or a little earlier, this seems to be a little bit of a, of a Shaggy-Velma uh, Thing. It seems like it could be, like there's some sort of connection there. So we now have a, a loose series of connections between the gang. We don't know if Fred and, and Daphne know anybody else. Uh, Shaggy and Velma work together, but they might not know each other super well. Uh, we, we at the very least have had a little bit of the groundwork laid. And Velma's about to lay some more groundwork for us as she goes deeper into this complex where Shaggy works and Scooby lives. As she's walking, she, she starts to monologue. And I guess they lampshade it by her saying that she shouldn't be speaking out loud. But she says so much. She's talking about how, like, if you get caught, this could be the end of this could be the end of my career and probably my life. And she keeps talking like, oh, but, you know, I like living. I like living and breathing. And I'm just like, I've grown rather fond of waking up every morning. And she's like, "Ah, I can't believe I'm talking out out loud to myself in a facility covered in listening devices. Like, yeah, Velma. Yeah, what are you doing? Maybe that's going to be a plot point later on, but for the moment, it's it's very much like she could. She's almost looking to looking straight at the viewer and just delivering exposition off of a script. Yeah, give, giving that Jim, you know, that Jim. Yeah, rolling her eyes, uh, and and ba- uh, and she lays out some pretty big stakes that she's aware of. She lays them out kind of vaguely, but it sounds like the the world is on the line here. Perhaps in line with what happened in Paris. Perhaps different. But so the, it, it's still the world that is in jeopardy. We we don't know what's going on. And from there, we cut to Fred and Daphne. They're out in the desert. They're waiting for their informant. As you may have probably guessed, Velma is the informant, uh, and she um, she comes up out of the ground, out of like a hatch, uh, which prompts Fred to uh, to shriek, "Mole man, mole people, mole people." And oh, sorry, he, a little a little more, uh, yeah, a little. He he more thinks Velma is multiple mole persons. Mole people. And chucks his camera. Yeah, and he brains her with it. She She's out cold. And Fred kind of justifies himself like, you know, we did that segment on mole people a while ago. And Daphne's like, that was fake. It's all fake. Which at a certain point, Daphne has kind of a high view of herself as a journalist for someone who knowingly pushes false narratives all the time. It 
it doesn't really matter that Fred isn't isn't pushing the narrative. It but it matters to me that he is still uh, obsessed with with the supernatural. Mm, that's true, and he's believing in it. Fred, I think Fred loses a little bit of character in this series, but it's partly to make room for Daphne to take more of a center stage and to take charge, which is needed. Daphne is too thin in many of the comics in a way that's not very pleasing, and I like that they're doing more with her here. I, I should have mentioned earlier that even though Scooby does have the emoto goggles and is using these little uh, pictograms, he's he's pictogram holograms. That's right. We hadn't mentioned that, but he, these little bubbles, almost yeah, emoticons float around his head that show whether he's thinking of pizza or smiley or frowny face or what have you. Uh, but he is also speaking classic Scooby fashion. He shows uh, Shaggy that he wants pizza by using this little yeah, you said uh, emoji. Uh, I guess would be the term now. Yes. Uh, and he's a like, uh, reveroni. Uh, so he wants pepperoni pizza. So we're yeah. back. We're back in the heart of Blazing Man, and here's something that I I don't like, um, which is remember what what I said about this being like uh, a comic about the youths, but by people by men who are decidedly not youths. Yeah, <laughs> I know that, and I'm reading it right now. They're they're trying to get pizza, and the only pizza that they can find is uh, tofu cheese and tomato sauce. Um, which is also on a rice crust, gluten-free. Shaggy doesn't like that. That's the thing that bothers me is that this is something that historically Shaggy should like because he's vegan, or at least open to it. First of all, it, it would make perfect sense if, you, if you're trying to make more of like a modern, a modern Norville Shaggy Rogers. Just make him vegan. Yeah, but no, he's uh, getting indignant about the fact that this doesn't sound like a good, a classic piece of, piece of pizza. On another level, gluten-free pizza isn't made from rice, or isn't like I guess made from rice in the way that they're framing it. It's made with like gluten-free flour. Yeah, and and why no tomato? Oh, who has yeah. a problem eating real tomatoes? Where's that outrage coming? That's from? actually like my my number one thing. It's like tofu cheese that makes sense, cruelty-free. Yeah, but, hey, that's fair. I my partner is a vegan. I get that. But it's like oh, no tomato. Like who who's the one who has like like beef? Uh, I pun in, intended, I guess, against tomatoes. Yeah, and, and for me, why why does Shaggy even care that it's no tomato? What's bad about that? I mean, no tomato, no motto, bro. It's all the same. That's that part didn't quite land with me, but maybe that's a fifty-year-old joke. One thing, and I have spent um, the time googling this, uh, and I have not been able to find it. But um, and we when I was a kid we had uh, we had the novelization we had the novelizations of a few movies, and like movies that like and one of them was Hook which I have seen really um, but we also had the novelization to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three, wow. uh, which I don't think I've ever seen in its entirety. But the turtles go back in time to ancient Japan because why not? Um, and I think it's Raphael. He he teaches he tries to get the Japanese uh, to uh, make pizza. Okay. Obviously, like, there is no, like, cheese or cheese or tomato sauce or dough. So, yeah, it is made with, like, rice or whatever. Um, and that's what this made me think of. Because th- this is what, like, someone who, like, doesn't know what pizza <laughs> is would try, would try to make. Yeah. And it's, it's blazing, man. So this is kind of what you sign up for. Wow. Is that a dog? No. That's a cop car. Oh. Fire truck. It's a fire truck. I, my issue with this is probably just that Shaggy loves food in general. I've never seen Shaggy not like food except in that uh, Jeepers It's the Creeper episode where he turns down squirrel soup. That's the only one I've only time I've seen him turn down food at all. I mean, yeah. chocolate covered pickles are like his favorite. 
you have uh, no, it was corn. Sorry, the chocolate covered. No, corn you're right. Chocolate in, covered in, corn in the car. Uh, in that same episode, Jeepers, mm-hmm. it's the creeper. As they're eating this pizza and uh, Shaggy is diving in, something catches Scooby's attention and he takes off like a shot. Uh, and what happens is um, Scooby leads both him and Shaggy to the desert where the rest of the gang are. Uh, and he Scooby is up on a little bit of a, a rock and he's silhouetted against the sky, against the moon, and Fred sees him and screams, werewolf. Yeah, not, not entirely... Uh, ridiculous because again it's right in front of a full moon Scooby's looking very menacing though not at all furry and scary maybe it's not as reasonable as I'm making it out to be yeah typically werewolves are like wolf like a cross between man and wolf whereas Scooby is just a dog it's a weirdane (laughs) and the reason why Scooby went after the gang we find out Velma tells us is because he must have read the emanations from her glasses and perceived Fred and Daphne as a threat because Fred did knock Velma out cold with the camera. So Velma takes them down into, into the laboratory, into the facility, and she starts talking about uh, th- these concerns she has about the future of mm. the world. And, and when you say she takes them down, she takes them all down. Uh, Scooby, Shaggy, Velma, and F- Daphne and Fred are all together going into this facility. But again, they don't really know each other. This is kind of a first real meeting between a lot of these characters. This is, yeah, the origin story of Mystery Incorporated, as, as I'm not sure they're going to be known as, but what we know them as. Yes, the, the gang is together, though they're not really together together just yet. We still have to sew them together, even though they're all in the same place. And like I said, Velma's taking them down in the facility, and she's talking to them a little bit about what it is she's looking to tip uh, Daphne off on. It's so much exposition. Like, if you look at these pages, it, they're, they're replete with word bubbles. It's not that the art is bad while they're talking. It's just that the drawings have nothing to do with what's being spoken. It's almost like, why even draw people? You could have just said, let's flip off the lights and talk about what happened the last year. And then just have the dialogue. For, uh, for, the, for our listeners who know comic books, it's very Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, f- who, for you, Luke, <clears throat> is, a, is a Marvel writer who does a lot of dialogue. Like, it's not uncommon for these word bubbles to like have to like uh border the art to to you know wow. just so that they're not like covered by it i in, in my mind that's incredibly lazy that's the epitome of tell don't show which in writing terms we say show don't tell don't just tell the viewers what's going on show them what's going on and they'll appreciate it like it what would have been cool is um you're in this facility there's screens everywhere you could have drawn you could have drawn like 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 they were watching this, for example. Like you would in a, you would first of all, you'd never really do this in like a movie. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Not not. Yeah, for you'd this never have long. everyone just sitting around talking about whatever apocalypse it is that's. Looming. They would be watching like a computer screen, and there would be graphics showing the way that, like, for example, there are, or not for example, this is actually what happens. Uh, there are four scientists yeah. who sought to release nanites around the world, um, and it turns out that Velma was one of the people who released these nanites. Yeah, she's been working on this project. And she got on board in the hopes that this would help humanity, that these nanites would help people be nicer to each other. But she found out that they were actually breeding a kind of passivity into humans. That's what it was actually intended to do. Yeah, these nanites were meant to to attach themselves, to ingrain themselves in, in human physiology, and then transform them. It's called Project Elysium. Yeah, and, and Velma believes that it's intended to transform them into an easier-to-control-and-dominate species. 
So presumably these four are, were actually, instead of trying to help people, were actually trying to take over the world with these nanites. Initially, the idea was, uh, to Velma's understanding, as she released the nanites in Paris, um, that these nanites were going to weed out man's baser instincts, uh, i.e. greed, anger, and the urge to violence. And then, as you said, um, it seemed that it was something more insidious. Mm -hmm. We're going to turn people into sheep. Yes. And I guess, can we give an example? They could have shown this in so many better ways than just talking it out and having characters just pull expressions in response to it. I think showing, like, example test subjects, uh, projected results from this, like, on a screen oh, yeah. or something like that, just giving us something concrete that justifies, hey, why does this story have to be a comic? You've got this great medium that can show us things visually. Even if it was, like, a globe, do you know what I mean? And it showed the various areas in which the nanites, the, the centers urban centers in which the nanites were released even that would be like you're you're showing us and you're telling us do you know what i mean yes. it'd be like okay i i get this you're using your a visual com component it justifies the story within this medium so that's i guess a general criticism all that said it's very well drawn it's just not very well conceived in terms of the action that's happening i'm sorry to be so critical of it but uh. um at one point when uh when velma is making reference to these four scientists uh, who are kind of overseeing everything. She says, the five, and then she, like, pauses and then says, the four. Mm. So Which, look, I know that you've read ahead. I I feel like Velma's one of the scientists. I can't confirm or deny that. Neither can I, I'm afraid. I mean, I could, oh. but I won't. Okay, all right. For the moment, we're going deeper and deeper into this facility, and as Velma's talking to them about this, Shaggy kind of voices a little protest, like, hey... I work at this facility too. Granted, I'm just a dog trainer, but and we find out that's what Shaggy is. He's basically Scooby's handler. He says he's but, working with um, something called smart dogs. Mm -hmm. And he says, yeah, they, like Scooby's a smart dog. Like this is part of the government program to to get to make dogs smarter for military purposes. This nano stuff you're talking about that doesn't exist. I would have heard about that. Which is like Shaggy. I mean, like, buddy, you. And I, and I think Velma intimates this as well, but it's like, you're just a dog handler. Yeah, like, we don't CC you on every email, and even if we did, you're already demonstrated to be the kind of person who wouldn't read emails. It, it seems extremely naive of him. Yeah, and, um, and he's immediately corrected when he notices the gang going into a, a secret passage that he'd never seen before. And it's yeah, it turns out that mm -hmm. there's, there's a sealed bunker, and I guess that this is where... Um, the ones who did not want to be affected by the nanites would hide out so as not to be um, transformed. And the shot of the uh, the safe zone, the sealed bunker uh, for Project Elysium, is probably my favorite shot in this issue. Like, it's they really, really conceived this space and laid it out very neatly and made it feel very lived in. It just really stuck with me. I hope we get a chance to share that screenshot. Oh wow! I had it open up right here. Yeah, it looks like a it's it's a very cozy little space, um, and it, it it's very well designed. I think what I'm going to be doing is I I'm going to be uploading panels, or I'm going to be sending you panels, I guess, mm -hmm. or I guess you can do this as well. But then what I will uh, if you give me the dialogue, I will slot it in, like we'll re-dialogue a lot of these panels. Yes. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that yeah. idea. So uh, so it'll, it'll be a little bit more labor-intensive for me, but I think it'll mm. be really good. That's fantastic. Yeah, so go to scoobydudes.com to see that action in action. 
But I just, I really love the bunker. I have to say it now, just to, to, to tamp down expectations on this. We don't actually spend any time in this bunker beyond the first issue. Remarkably, because this shot makes me feel like we're going to live here for a little bit. This is going to be a, a setting. But this is, like most apocalyptic stories, this is going to be a journey. So, as the conversation has, has proceeded, Daphne has become increasingly frustrated about the idea that, like, the planet is going to be turned into, and I quote, uh, a planet of docile slaves. And the fact that the four slash five, if you want to count Scooby, yeah. uh, know about this means that the onus is on them to do something about it. Fred Fred comes up and he says, and I'm, I'm just going to quote this, uh, Well, Daph, looks like you got the big story you were looking for. Too bad the world as we know it is going to end. Uh, or you'd be a raiding sensation. And Fred's face while he says that is so hateable. It's like they uh, they gave him these huge eye, Peter Lorre eyes and like this <laughs> this like little pudgy mouth. Oh my god! I please look at that screenshot, folks listening. It's unbelievable. And, and uh, looking over her shoulder, Velma says, "Was that a joke?" Uh, to which Fred says in very small letters, "Oh man." Oh yeah, he says, "Uh huh," and it's very tiny. Um, and what follows is an onomatopoeia. Uh, of of Luke's one of Luke's favorite Patrick Warburton characters. <laughs> yes. Oh uh, yeah, Cusco, the poison to kill Cusco. <laughs> Daphne punches Fred in the face, and it makes a cronk sound effect. You know when you punch somebody and your fist goes cronk. Um, which is so violent. Yeah, like in the nose. It's very violent. That's probably my real criticism of Daphne in this series isn't that she's in charge. I think that's okay and that's great. It's that she's violent and angry all the time. It doesn't it doesn't feel deserved either. I think that there would have been a way of writing this issue in which Daphne's very stressed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, let's say um her her ratings are in the toilet. She has a show, but maybe her budget has been slashed time and time and time again. And it gets to the point where like this is her last big scoop. She thought that she was going to be able to make it big, get back on top, but the world is ending. That puts her in a place where I can see her wanting to punch. That someone. makes more perfect sense. And if we'd similarly adjusted, if we'd similarly adjusted Fred's character to accommodate that, it would make sense that he's getting punched. But up to this point, he hasn't been sassy and he hasn't been back talking all this much. He's actually been offering very valid, reasonable criticisms and sticking by Daphne every step of the way. I mean, if we flip these roles, oh. can you imagine <laughs> if Fred decked Daphne in the face for making a joke? It's not okay here. Is what I'm saying, I guess. Yeah. It's it's a really terrible character interaction, which which neither of us like. No, it's I I don't think they thought that they made everyone really combative towards each other, which I think they did so that when they f come to knit together more closely, it feels all the more satisfying because we have a point of reference. But it's not very gracefully done. And here's the thing: right after that, um, right after that, Velma, sorry, Daphne then turns to Velma with a fist raised and says okay dinkley if there if there is a way to stop it you'd better tell us right now like she's gonna start beating she's gonna start beating and velma. we aren't the only ones who think velma's about to get a beating velma thinks that too she's like covering her head with both of her hands and like crouching down trying to make her already insanely diminutive figure even smaller we we should have mentioned and i will say it very quickly that yeah throughout this issue She's like she's a little person. 
basically. Basically, like I, uh, if we go back a couple of frames where da where Daphne's kind of accusing Velma of trying to justify, because Velma's defending these four even as she's condemning them. She's saying, "Hey, these four had pure motives initially." Daphne's like, "I'm sure Hitler felt the same way." And when we see Velma in that screen, her knees are on the ground. Like, she has no feet. She's standing on the stairs, really, like, they don't know how tall to make her, and they've phased her partway through the ground like a video game glitch. She's she's so short. I, like, I actually do think she's got to be four, four and a half feet tall. Yeah, and, and like, two frames before that, again, she's shorter than Scooby-Doo, who's not on his hind legs. He's sitting down. And it, it seems absurd to me, because that's not even, it's not like they exaggerated one of her features on the show. Velma is not, like, tiny uh, on, on Scooby-Doo. I, I also do want to throw out, they made Shaggy blonde for some reason, and I find it a little frustrating that both him and Fred are blondes. Well, Fred is blonde blonde. You know, there is very little difference, you're right. Even though I thought of Fred as blonde and Shaggy as brown-haired, their hair color is almost identical. Anyway, before, and and I want to say, I want to call frame it as domestic assault, just because that's what it looks like on the page. I honestly, like, it's, you want to say it's funny, and you want to say it's okay because Fred can take a hit, but it's not okay here any more than it would be if the genders were reversed. It's not okay, it's not okay for um, Daphne to, to punch Fred in the nose. It's also not okay for her to uh, make as if she's going to beat Velma. And the thing that doesn't make sense about it is that Velma is complying. Velma brought them in here. She's the source. And yet Daphne is getting mad about the stuff that Velma is disclosing and making like she's going to beat her. You're a bad journalist, Daphne. Before Daphne can lay hands on, on their informant, uh, a klaxon goes off. It's an auga klaxon. Which feels cartoony. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems like a very cartoony touch. Um, and and what, does this, uh, what does this alarm signify exactly? It signifies that the nanites have been activated, which was not what Velma was expecting. This is now, now Velma's on the back foot. She's, she's not expecting this. Which is to say that uh, everyone has been uh, ostensibly infected by nanites, but they have to be activated or, or, or made live uh, to have any effect. Yes, and, uh, and in the same swoop, we see that the gang is also locked in the bunker. A, uh, a bunker door slams down with a stump. Velma is tr wants to stop this. She wants to stop uh, these nanites from being activated. Um, and, and as she is sort of racing to go do that, she turns to these, uh, to these three human beings and this, and this Great Dane, and she says, she just, she apologizes to them. Yeah, she's, she vacillates in this series a lot between really raw narcissism, I'm the best of the best, I'm the only one that can save us, and deep self-deprecation. Yeah, she says, I, I just wanted you all to know how sorry I am. I didn't mean for this to happen. I just wanted to do something that mattered, something to change the world for the and then next page. And and we see the uh, we see the Blazing Man Festival. Yeah, and everyone that was initially dressed as uh, these gaudy old timey um, fake monsters are now real monsters. There's a werewolf. There's an aqua creature. There's a uh, another type of werewolf. There's a mummy. There's all these people have actually been transformed into monsters. I think the other type of werewolf might be a dog that was affected by the nanites. Oh, you're probably right. But I guess the nanites only affected people. I guess that was the idea of the nanites. So maybe you're right. Hmm. I don't know. One thing that we get along with Velma kind of giving all this exposition all in one role is a little bit more on Scooby and Shaggy. 
Um, she she refers to Velma refers to Scooby as a failure, a catastrophic failure in the program that he was intended to in the in, in his program. Which does make sense because Shaggy did say that smart dogs were meant for military purposes. And I know we haven't talked about Scooby that much, but Scooby has been very con- congenial. Yeah, he's classic Scooby. He's a nice guy. He's out to have fun and eat food. I mean, he he does sort of like growl and threaten uh, Fred and uh, Fred and Daphne, but that is oh, because yeah. Fred attacks Velma. Yeah, like really bluntly attacks. Them. You know, maybe Fred does deserve to be punched in the face, although that was an intentional. And let's not compare apples to oranges. But all that to say, Scooby has shown himself to be the classic Scooby character in in his heart. Uh, and Velma says that's obviously not what you want out of a military dog. He was a failure because he was not as intelligent or as vicious as the other dogs needed to be. And Shaggy's like, yeah, he's a sweetheart. He doesn't really refute anything on the intelligence point. Let's just, before we head on, because this is actually two, uh, two stories in one. Um, mm-hmm. The first story being called Waiting for the End of the World. Um, so I just want to discuss that last page a little bit more. Because it is, we do see... It is a full page spread, which to our non-comic readers just means that it's a single image that encapsulates the whole page. Uh, there are no panels. Um, and it does show burning, sorry, Blazing Man and everyone yeah. is monsters. Um, you mentioned a wolf man. Yep, a very anthropomorphic wolf man. Uh, there's uh, a creature of the Black Lagoon. Uh, That's sort of what thing. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing. I know you said that they were dressed up as monsters. I don't really recall that. At the be at the beginning, like at first, you might think that they they're all already are monsters around because there's like they they're dressed up more like classic Scooby Doo villains, like it's just a dude in a mask, but they call that a monster. Yeah. Or a dude with fake horns, and they call that a monster. If you were looking at this first image, you could think like we're in a future society where there are multiple alien species. That is, could feel I do agree with that. Guardians of the Galaxy ish. Um, but one of the, uh, one of the monsters on this full page spread is a mummy. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, did the nanites turn this person into a mummy? Apparently the nanites turned him into a, an old Egyptian pharaoh who has been, whose body has been preserved. So some of these monsters are different from one another. There are three monsters in the sky, which look like demons. Uh, they're red. They have horns. They have wings. What I don't get is that they're carrying normal human beings. You're right. That's a great catch that there's apparently some untransformed human beings here. So presumably this didn't work on everybody. The nanites didn't work on everybody unless this is just an error. I I will say, just as we wrap up this first part of this issue of the comic, uh, before we touch on the second, it does, and which I appreciate, firmly lay out what the Scooby apocalypse is. It did set it up very cleanly and assuming that we didn't know anything about it. Furthermore, I'd say we don't need to know anything about Scooby-Doo in order to understand this comic. Yeah, it, they're, they're in a world of monsters. And now that's what we're going to be navigating from here on out. That's the first issue of Scooby-Doo Apocalypse, and we do have a little bit of a, a final scene at the end, a flashback. Yeah, it's uh, the second story is called When Shaggy Met Scooby. It is the, uh, it's, it's the same creative team, so Giffen, Demetrius, and Howard Porter. Um, and... We've been calling it, like, the facility. We've been calling it a lab. It's called The Complex. Uh, and this takes place three years ago. So two years before Velma uh, infected anybody, we cut into Shaggy on his walking interview for the job. So he's walking around. There's this very short, not as short as Velma, uh, scientist who is uh, sort of showing him around the place. 
Um, and Shaggy has been hired, as you know, as a handler for the dogs. Uh, and this guy tells him that um, Shaggy has been tested and has an extraordinarily high canine IQ. And it means that he's empathetic with animals, uh, that dogs relate to him on their own level, as if he's one of them. And the guy says, well, that makes sense given your breath. So I guess Shaggy has bad breath in this series. Yeah, this guy's kind of throwing shade. He's, he's throwing a lot of shade for a, a very short, bald old man. <laughs> That's going to be me very soon, so I shouldn't throw shade that direction. <laughs> That's like throwing shade forward out of the window of a moving car. So they're walking down a hallway, um, and uh, this... I, I haven't made... Like, I'll, this little person shoves past them. This little person is obviously Velma. She's so small. Yeah, and, and Shaggy's like, hey, watch where you're going, lady. And dude says, like, hey, that's not just any lady. That's someone above my That paper. was no lady. That, that was that was Dr. Dinkley. <laughs> and it's like, hold hold the phone, old man. I think she's very likely still a lady. I think she can be both. Are those two groups that have no Venn diagram intersection ladies and Dr. Dinkley's? It's doctors and doctors ladies. And ladies. <laughs> that's right. Mutually exclusive in this man's mind. This man has never been able to answer that question uh, the doctor, the doctor is not the boy's father. <laughs> that riddle has stumped him his whole life, no matter how many times he hears it explained. He w- he 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 wakes in a cold sweat. Uh, Was he the boy's uncle? I don't get it, grandfather. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> I can't operate on this uh, on this boy. He's my son, and he's like, what? What? A- adopted <laughs> son? I don't get it. Hey, Dr. Dinkley, sir, how are you doing today? What a man. Um, uh, anyway, that doctor's sexism aside, he does say, like, this person is a bigwig around here. Dinkley's big around here, at least by the way she treats everybody else. Which is interesting because it looks like this doctor, as sexist as he is, does not actually realize what Velma's role is within the complex. Yeah, all he seems to indicate is that Velma is above his pay grade. So he advises Shaggy, look, just stay clear of Dinkley. There's something spooky about her. And Shaggy says, uh, too bad. She's kind of cute. Yeah, a little bit of that, a little bit of that potential stuff coming out here. We look down on, uh, what looks sort of like, um, sort of like the danger room from X-Men. That's exactly what I thought of, yeah. Yeah, this, this futuristic, uh, combat area in which four dogs which have been decked out with with tech they have uh goggles um and uh other ver- cyborg looking enhancements yeah are... like all these they're covered in implants and for reference scooby was not covered in implants he had a, a collar and he had something you could put on his face but he was not didn't have tech techno implants he wasn't a cyborg uh these these four other canines are advancing on scooby-doo Yes, and Scooby is is naked comparatively. He doesn't even have his his head headset thing. And these other four dogs are looking real aggressive, advancing on Scooby Doo, uh, who this doctor calls Subject Zero, the original smart dog prototype, who the experience who the experiment for whom the experiments yielded less than promising results. Shaggy's freaking out because you can see that Scooby's gonna get hurt. He's gonna get torn apart, um, and it is pretty gross in that one of the scenes in which the the dogs are attacking Scooby. One of the sound effects is rip, like they're ripping him apart. Man, you, I, I'm glad you paid attention to these sound effects. I did not because we had sure Ralph rip, kajomp, kajomp, and er. As as just kind of a pastiche, it worked for me. But rip is kind of violent, 
and one of the dogs does kind of cut it, scoop, tear at Scooby's neck a little bit. Scooby's on the ropes at best until Shaggy steps in. And Shaggy says in, in four conjoined uh, word bubbles, back the hell off. Yes, as he does what looks like a safety dance. <laughs> I don't know. It looks like he's miming his way out of a box. Scooby, Shag, is that a dog trainer thing, maybe? That that's what you do? Show the dogs your palms so they know you're not aggressive. I really like that the, that the panel adjacent to that, the next shot is of these dogs looking at him, but since they're wearing emoti goggles, they're they have crossers. little downward eyebrows That's how to you show know that they're, they're mad. That's how you know they're bad dogs, is they have downward eyebrows. Yeah, like, like, like the fact that they're baring their fangs at him has no real bearing. <laughs> uh, it's the fact that they have these little holog- holographic eyebrows. I think, in general, in animation and comics alike, eyebrows are... Or big part of how you read emotion on a face. So I get that decision, and I think it was pretty well conceived. Uh, so Dr. Sexist... Um... <laughs> well, first of all, is Shaggy, is Shaggy torn apart? Is this where he dies three years ago? Can you imagine, though? Like, you do a flashback, it turns out that Shaggy dies, and the Shaggy that we do see is a robot. Yeah. Can you imagine? Controlled by the sexist doctor. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been hard to take. But I would have, like, I'm here for the creativity. Let's do it. He does save Scooby. The other dogs do back off. Why? It's not really explained. I guess it's that it's that canine intelligence that he has. I guess, even though, again, his, like, the two shots of him telling them to back off have him with, like, his palms raised and shoulders up. Like, he's being, he's defensively warding off accusations that he ate the last piece of pizza. That's all I can look at. The last piece of gluten-free uh, tofu cheese nomado pizza. I kind of wish that Shaggy was more on-brand cowardly. Like, I want to see him brave in the face of his own cowardice. Like, I want him to go in... That's what it needs to be. And be like, hey, leave him alone. And then the dogs face him, and he's scared, but he's, he's doing the right thing. And that's what would have doing. It would have made it more impactful. He's pushing through for for Scooby. That's what what would have made it really hit. For him to just be automatically brave, and it's not as satisfying. It doesn't mean as much. Yeah, like I want to see him be brave. I want to see him, but <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Yeah, that's my new thing in this podcast. Is I just speak lyrics and then laugh about it. Anyways, uh, Shaggy saved Scooby. Um. So this. Dr. Sexist says, um, we, uh, you're right, We're, we should just destroy this animal. And Shaggy says, destroy it? Not on my watch. No way. <laughs> Shaggy says um, that he'll teach the little guy to defend himself and teach others to respect him. Dr. Sexist says, if you can do that, I'll see to it that you get a raise. Wait, really? Uh, no, but I'll buy you a beer after work. Deal. <laughs> So, Shaggy's an easy buy, although he does define himself in this little prequel as a low-rent dog trainer. The funny thing is that he's happy for this job because it's like, this is awesome complex, I get free dental, but the doctor sexist tells him now, you don't have any medical coverage if you get torn up by these dogs, so be careful. But I guess they want him to have good teeth, no matter what happens to the rest of his body. Yeah, this doctor says... If you get hurt, if you get disemboweled on the job. Yeah, disemboweled. We're not going to cover it. It's interesting because Shaggy says disemboweled, and he turns back to look at the other four dogs, and they're not baring their, their teeth at him. They're lying on the, on the floor as if he's the alpha male. They're all being very submissive to him. 
there's a lot of parts in this uh, issue where what's being said and what's being shown in the panel don't seem to jive. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for him to look at the dogs being obedient and then worrying about being disemboweled by them. That doesn't line up. Yeah, like you you want to get like kind of a sly, rebellious look from the dogs or they're like cagely pacing back and forth. Yeah, like maybe we'll get you later when like this doctor isn't around. Yeah, and uh, and they're setting this stuff up for a reason. That's all I'll say there. But uh, Shaggy turns back to Scooby and here's the moment where they really meet. He says, well, that's it. I'm, uh, I guess... I, I'm 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 quitting. I can't. I, I don't want to be disemboweled. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know why I put myself on the line for this one dog. No, he says. Well, I guess. Uh, I guess those other dogs are the nastiest of the bunch. Uh, and then uh, Scooby says, "Ruvru." Shaggy's like, I I don't care if you wait wait. Did you just talk? Ruh. Oh man, I really should have read those contracts. And the look on Scooby's face as he <laughs> says, "Ruvru." It's so loving, so tender. Like, he really loves Shaggy. That, it's hard not to like this series from that last panel. He doesn't need the, holog- the hologram eyebrows to, to, to emote. You can tell he loves Shaggy. There's so much love there. Yeah, like so much tender lovingness. I will also note that um, Scooby does not have his trademark collar here, which is sort of like this very light bluish teal. And what they did, I think, to kind of offset the absence of that color is they made Scooby's eyes that shade. Oh, you're right. So we have a little bit of that innocent blue on him. Um, And it it really helps the character pop a little bit more. Like, normally Scooby doesn't need that accent because he has the collar. Here, he has no collar. His eyes help, I guess, sort of like balance his character design. Yeah, and his eyebrows and holographic images do show blue, like a nice, bright robin's egg blue. And that's... And that is the end of uh, issue number one of Scooby Apocalypse. We are some some final impressions. Um, well, first of all, we didn't cover that much ground in this first episode. There's a lot left to come. The whole apocalypse part of this, or what you would expect out of an apocalypse story, is what we're about to explore. And to me, again, I think a good apocalypse story is a journey. You're traveling, you're picking up potentially allies, and if anything, gear along the way. Um, if any of our readers want to read Scooby Apocalypse... Um, if you go to Comixology, you have to create an account. Uh, single issues are three ninety nine. Not bad. It's not bad. It feels a little steep for just a purely digital issue, and it's three ninety nine. But if you if you buy the trade, which does is to say to get the bundled volume with the first six issues, it's something like twelve ninety nine, which is a huge amount of savings. That's almost bare, like a little more than two bucks an issue. Yeah, it 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 like you'd be wasting money. If you bought like the single issues, that that was m- my impression. So I I bought the first volume. Um, that's what I would recommend. We will return to this at some point. I'm sure. We we really will. And I guess my my wreck at the end of this episode is even if this sounds like it's not your jam, ten bucks, just a little over ten bucks, is not a lot to pay just to get an opinion on it, just to know if you like this or not. Yeah, it 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 is really entertaining. Um, one of my comments is. Uh, and I, I don't know if you'll... I, I actually do think you will agree with me. This is not how I would have modernized Scooby-Doo. I would agree with you. You're correct in that. Um, if only because at the heart of Scooby-Doo is mystery solving. And mm. this... And I, I've perused the second issue a little bit. And it seems to be a little bit more like monster killing. There's a lot of fighting in this. Which, you know, that's kind of the DC way, I think. And the mystery... There is a mystery here. And it kind of has to do with the big four. And, but the thing is that Velma holds the keys to this mystery. 
And so, at the like, the mystery only exists as long as one member of the gang is kept distant from all the others, and that's not that hurts a little bit. Yeah, I I mean, if you are sort of going to be doing this grittier approach with a little bit more violence, you could have them be murder mysteries. You know, we've talked about this. Um, we talked about this in our uh, in our first uh, friend interrogation episode, mm. in which I think that a that a CSI Scooby Doo crossover would make a lot of sense. Yeah. It's those are two formats that would click really neatly together, and you could do that very adult, very easily, and still still maintain a lot of the the childish charm of Scooby Doo in the gang's characters, especially in Scooby and Shaggy. They have to look for clues. They have to look for evidence. You know, it all it I feel like it all lines up very well. And I think here, looking for clues and finding evidence has been replaced with twenty dialogue boxes from Velma outlining what it was that happened, when it could have honestly even just been two dialogue boxes. Uh, but, I mean, I, I liked it. I, I've seen a little bit of Justice League 3000, and, and I heard that that series was, like, pretty decent. I really like the character designs on that. That looked really cool. And and here, I don't think the character designs are perfect. I don't think the writing is perfect. I don't blame the art, because I feel like that could have been communicated a little bit better. Yeah, I, I think I don't blame the artist for any of this. The writer should have given the artist, like, better direction, I think. That's the, the part that's lacking. I don't know. I, I don't know comics as well as you do. I'm criticizing an industry that I'm underinformed um, on. But all, all in all, it's an imperfect package. But I did like it. I I thought it was I thought it was fun. Like I from beginning to end, I was like, oh, I I'm always interested to see what comes next, and I'm never bored. And I think that those are both very very important. I think my my criticism of this is the same criticism I have for some podcasts, which is that it doesn't feel like the characters like each other and granted it's their first meeting but you want a little bit of that you want to feel like you're sitting in the room with people who enjoy each other's company and scooby and shaggy enjoy each other but we don't even have that much of that everyone else is very angry at each other and just very combative all the time and part of the success of this comic in the future is going to be how they move from there um granted this is the very first issue i'm on board to see where they go from here um and also, I just, I really like apocalypse stories. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel like this works as an apocalypse story or how it will work? Compared to like, uh, I, like I, I Zombieland or uh, 28 Days Later? I, I mean, it's nice to have an apocalypse where it's not zombies. And I am really interested to see how all of these sort of like classic Scooby-Doo monsters, movie monsters uh, show up. Because that's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Everybody's turned into monsters. It's it has a very strong like old school vibe to it. This is something like a mad yeah, I mean, scientist fact, would come up with. The right? fact that one of them turned into a mummy yeah. tells you that this is old school. <laughs> so it's ref it's refreshing. I mean, apocalypse stories are not, you know, they're not um the hottest like they're not the the freshest idea. Yeah, but this is a fresh-ish spin on it. Mhm. Mm Hmm. And this, look, I think it's cool that this is, look, this is our first comic. This is our first non-screen uh, media that we've covered. That's true, and we intend to go even further than comics, potentially outside of Scooby narrative, to, to cover other Scooby-related stuff. Um, I, I hope that one day we will do the Scooby-Doo movie soundtrack and just review that. Oh yeah, that'd be wonderful. I actually, um, I, have a, I have a guest... And we'll we'll see how that would work. Um, there's uh, there's someone who who was interested in, in being a guest on our on our podcast, um, and who knows a lot about music. And I think, I I feel like I might 
be able to bow out for that one if you want to go back and forth with him? I mean, like, just for recording I, purposes. I mean, we'll see when the time comes, but I, 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 I like having, I like the idea of a three-person podcast. Yeah. And I think people are going to want to hear you on that, too. But that's Scooby-Doo Apocalypse. Or is it just Scooby Apocalypse? I believe it's, it's just, just Scooby, Scooby Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I've said that wrong a couple of times, but uh, <laughs> really, a, a very fun read and a fun talk. I, I guess that's it. So, <laughs> remember, doctors can be women too, and women can be doctors, and don't punch men in the face just because they tell a joke. Yeah, don't punch anyone. Almost, like, there's so few contexts in which you should punch people. Punch someone in, like, I don't know, like a boxing ring. Or, yeah. Oh, that, that's an right? okay thing. Or in like in like an, in a sanctioned fight, but don't threaten to beat people. Yeah. Or like pour them a pour them a cup of punch if they're at the punch bowl. If they say punch me, bro. Then you can do that. Yeah. Don't, um, if, if someone want, if you need someone to give you information, don't raise your your fists at them. It's, <laughs> yeah. And I'm not to say that like. It's not to say that, like, little people of anyone don't deserve to be hit, but if you're, like, twice the sizes of the person, definitely think again. Yeah, so Scooby-Doo is we're taking a firm stance on interrogation techniques and torture. Uh, Close Guantanamo already. That's a Scooby-Doo's official stance. That's uh, what we want to hang can, our hat hey, on wait, here. Hey, can wait, can we discuss what? this a little bit more, actually? Dude, dude, are you in favor of Guantanamo? I think we should open... <laughs> You think we should open another Guantanamo? You think we should franchise Guantanamo Bay? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> like Oprah, you get a Guantanamo, and you get a Guantanamo. You get a Guantanamo. Look under your chair. It's a Guantanamo. At the UN, just pointing at various countries. <laughs> I assumed it was going to be more like a Guantanamo on every corner. And also, sorry, don't say Guantanamo. I mean, like, we're franchising this. We want this to be snappier. Gitmo. Git when get, you when you oh. have a gitmo, you get mo. You get mo for your money. <laughs> get mo for your water bow erding. It's sunny in Guantanamo. I can't believe that's the note we're prospectively ending <laughs> this podcast on. Hey, I really like with Gitmo you get mo. I think <laughs> that was good. No, that is solid, dude. Be- since you said that, I now can't cut this or I'm cutting the best part of the podcast. <laughs> I just really you, you really raised the bar with your whole uh, with your whole um, Patreon. Um, oh, <laughs> small time artist, big time dreams. Yeah, I I think I finally sort of reached those heights, which were like, if anything, I think the U.S. government should get in contact with me. I I we could we could rebrand this. So you're saying me saying small time artist, big time dreams every episode in the outro is what you're now gonna do with Gitmo <laughs> at the end of every. <laughs> we can use that every time. Look, Guantanamo Bay, it'll keep coming up. Hey, don't. Are you lonely? Do you need a Guantanamo BAE? <laughs> come, come meet your Guantanamo Bay at Gitmo. <laughs> your Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> All right, yeah. This ep- lonely Gitmo Bay's. <laughs> This is this is as high a note as we're gonna go out on. I thank you. Yeah. <laughs> After Blazing Man, this is as high as we're gonna get. I like. Let's. End I it. liked my Flaming Man joke. Flaming Man was great. I meant Blazing Man High was yeah. the uh, the pun I was. Looking. Also, 
Uh, nothing fun. wrong with the Flaming Man Festival. I want to I want to put that out there. I mean, I I mentioned it as a joke, but it's if it's fine. Yeah, no, I think that's fine. Similarly, I think Bing Woman has a lot of potential. Now we have to end there because I said something that needs to be cut. <laughs> Unless I keep it and I make it yeah, beeping that's woman. A, that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds way worse than it is. It's pretty bad though. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny because like it's pretty bad, but like logically speaking, it was I wanna put quotes around this, the right thing to say. Or like the logical progression from where we were. Yeah. Alright, well, let's let's cut it there. Thank you for joining us, people. Listen to the outro. Oh man, what an episode. After an ep like that, Evan, would you put your apocalypse on mine? I I don't want to do that. Okay, that's that's fair. I sorry I asked. That was kind of a weird thing to say. Um but would you uh would you put your apocalypse on mine? I'm sorry? Thanks for listening to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Scooby Dudes. <laughs> uh we really enjoyed recording this for you. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Where else can they find us on uh, around, Evan? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, you can check us out on Facebook. That's just facebook.com slash Scooby Dudes. Yeah, you can, uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. We are at The Scooby Dudes, the two and only The Scooby Dudes on Twitter. Uh, if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to not just follow and like us, if you maybe wanted to support us. Yeah, you, there's a way you can do that. You can join us on patreon.com slash Scooby Dudes. That's where we ask our listeners for a little bit of monetary support. And we do have some new monetary support this week. Yeah, we, we do have a new supporter, a new patron, a new donor. Uh, their name is Michael. Michael, our, uh, the first person that we don't know personally who we're aware of that listens to this podcast. Yeah, they were the first person to shoot us an email at uh, scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. And we emailed them back, letting them know that riches and happiness would follow any donations they happen to give to Scooby Dudes. This is a, a health and wealth program we've got. And ultimately, we did pressure him into not buying diapers for his children and donating to us instead. Yeah, Scooby Dudes, uh, a prosperity ministry in the <laughs> making. My brothers and sisters... Thank you, Michael. We really appreciate it. Michael is a solid dude for donating to us. Even though it's a paltry, measly, pathetic amount. Michael, we really appreciate your donation. Are you really going to do that? <laughs> I might cut that. I, I am so grateful for, for, Michael's, uh, for Michael's donation. I could be I, uh, more grateful. I'll, 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 I'll even make reference to his, uh, to his full name. Uh, Crumbopolis, Michael. Oh boy, here I go donating again. <laughs> oh, Michael. For real, though, we appreciate Michael's emails on their own because that, it's good to know somebody's interested and we're getting feedback on these episodes. And your donation means even more to us. You can stop writing us now, now that you're donating. No, please keep writing us, Michael, and please keep donating to us. And if you want to be like Mike and dominate the b-ball court, Donate to us on Patreon. Yeah, like Mike, uh, like uh, like old Hitler stash himself. Oh gosh! <laughs> Remember when Michael Jordan had a Hitler mustache? Like he had a soul patch. He just wanted to bump it a couple of apocalypse up. <laughs> how did he get? A well, I mean, we know how he got away with it. It's his complexion. Yeah, I. It would be a very different story if I grew a Hitler stash. Like, out. like if Larry Bird, if Larry Bird had had that, <laughs> if that 
that milk-skinned, blonde-haired Aryan. Ooh, yeah, that would not have been not have been a pretty thing. And he not even like he had that, and people just saw him around on the street because like you can do what you want. But he appeared in a series of Hanes commercials with that stash. Yeah, that was the look. That was his look. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm gonna own this. Oh well, so yeah, be be like be like. Mike. Be like Mike, grow a Hitler stash, donate to us on Patreon, and get yourself shouted out every single week. When you donate to Scooby Dudes, we don't just shout you out the first time. We don't just give you regular recurring additional content on Patreon. We give you a weekly shout out on our podcast for your weekly support. Monthly support, actually. So so we're going to say those names right now. Thank you, Michael, and these individuals for your support of our podcast. There's one last thing we need to mention. We put a lot of effort into our website which is scoobydudes.com scoobydudes.com is the best place aside from patreon it's the best place you can go to get additional content show notes corrections funny screenshots with funny captions uh in the case of this episode since it is a comic that we did they're not screenshots what i've done is i've taken uh panels and we have inserted our own dialogue i'm really looking forward to that i think it's going to be a great little production and let's see aside from facebook Twitter, Patreon, and ScoobyDudes.com. You can always shoot us an email. Again, be like Mike or ScoobyDudesPodcast at gmail.com. That is uh, that is about it. Aside from reviews, if you want to write us a review on iTunes, that'd be much appreciated. Help give us that little bump. Yeah, five optional stars uh, that you could award us. And if you could give us all of those stars, we would really appreciate it. For every dollar you donate to us on Patreon, you can go one star shy of five. So $5 a month, you can leave us a zero-star review. Is that... I haven't discussed this with Evan. Can we do... Is that an okay exchange? Are you comfortable with that? I kind of am. I, do we want money or do we want good reviews? I, I kind of... I, I kind of want to bump it up, though. I want to say for every, like, $5 you donate, you can donate... You can star us one less. Seriously, though, don't give us five stars on iTunes. If you're going to give us any less, don't bother with it. But write whatever you want in the review. Give us five stars and warn people away from us if you want to, but please give us that bump. And I think that is every place they can find us. That's it. Next week we're going to be doing, uh, we're going to be returning to, I guess, I guess by definition, our favorite of Scooby's nephews. If only because I can't think of any others. He's also our least favorite of Scooby's nephews. But we are returning to another Scrappy-Doo episode next week. Don't let that turn you away from it on its own. This next episode yeah. is insanely good. Luke and I just finished reviewing it. We just finished recording that episode. We had a blast. We had a really good time. It's unbelievable. The episode for next week is I Left My Neck in San Francisco, episode 10 of Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo. And you should watch that. At the very least, listen to us talk about it. Yeah, please. We're, we're so excited to bring you that episode. We hope you're looking forward to it as well. With that, that's the Scooby Dudes. I love you, Evan. I love every single one of our listeners. I listen to this, so that's me. I love... I... What's it going to be? (laughs) Do you love all our listeners but one? Don't do that to Michael. He cares about us. I love you, listeners. Yes, that's me. Me. He loves me. We're done, right? (laughs) Yeah, we're done.